Welcome to Sales Talk for CEOs. I'm glad you're here. I'll be interviewing CEOs who have successfully scaled their B2B sales organization. In each episode, I'll start by uncovering the sales background of each CEO, dig into the strategies they use to build their sales organization, and wrap it up with what the future holds. We'll cover the good, the bad, and the ugly of scaling a sales organization. I'm your host, Alice Hyman. What if you had a robot that could train your salespeople to be peak performers? Wouldn't that be amazing? (laughs) It's not too far from the truth anymore because we have such good AI, artificial intelligence, and machine learning where we can be in a space where we can actually train our computers to respond to salespeople and ask them intelligent questions and help prepare them to be really great in front of their customers rather than what most salespeople do, which is practice on their customers. So we really want to have peak performing peak performing teams. And so these kinds of um, you know, th- innovations that are coming through are really marvelous. And that's why I'm so excited today to have Ariel here from Second Nature to talk to us about how he built Second Nature and to talk to us about AI and the future of AI, especially as it relates to sales. Welcome, Ariel. Thank you, Alice. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So tell us just a little bit more about what Second Nature does in your own words. Absolutely. So what we do is we help organizations with large sales teams be better at their jobs and have better conversations. And we do that through practice. You know what they say, like salespeople hate role plays, but love the impact of them. So we help them get that kind of going and have them role play and practice different conversations before they're doing it with their actual prospects. Yeah. What's so amazing to me about your software too, is that it can learn, you know, the things that it needs to, to train your salespeople even better as, as they have conversations with what, remind me what her name is that gal. Jenny. Jenny. That's right. So Jenny, they talk to Jenny and she learns, right? Um, so that's pretty fascinating. And, uh, you said that salespeople don't like role plays and they usually are like, Oh, don't want to do a role play, but you're right. They love the results of what the role play gives them. And that's why it's so important. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, you know, nobody wants to expose themselves, but we all need some more learning, some more practice, especially as the world evolves, tech evolves, uh, methodologies change and and evolve as well. So getting into, uh, into the zone and being able to communicate is really important. And then for us in sales, the moment of conversation is like the magic moment. It's the moment yeah. of truth, right? You can do all of your prep, you can send all your emails, but eventually you get on a call with someone and they get like so much out of you in terms of the signals that you're sending, your formal and informal communication, how you're telling your stories, and how credible you come across that really makes a difference in your sales motion. And that's exactly what we're giving the sales professionals a chance to practice uh, in in a, in a nutshell it's not just like practicing a pitch but yeah. in a in a sales conversation the most important part is the conversation right yes it's being able to ask questions 
is being able to ask follow-ups and get more inquisitive and curious. It's being able to respond to something unexpected. And that's hard to practice for at scale. So that's exactly what we do. Yeah. And what I love too about Jenny is she's available any time of the day or night. So if you're preparing for a sales call and preparing for a sales conversation and there's no one available to practice with you, there's always Jenny, which is great. We're going to talk more about that in a minute though, because I want to uh, share with the audience how you came up with this idea and how you started this company, because I know that you were in sales prior to becoming the CEO and founding this company. But what was it, what were you doing right before you started this? And how did you get the idea to start Second Nature? Yeah, thank you for that. That's a great kind of question. Like, I came up from engineering. So I'm an engineer by background, went into product, been a product leader for quite a few years, and then made the transition into sales. And, uh, you know, initially, when I moved into sales, I was running product and product marketing and uh, messaging and all of that and i thought you know sales is so easy it's just easy right like you get all of the fact sheets and you get the battle cards and the battle sheets and the information the features the capabilities and all you have to do is share that with the prospects and they will buy right so simple (laughs) so simple right and then i moved into uh, and i was the one responsible me and my team for generating all of this collateral so i said i'm an expert this is so easy and then i moved to a sales leadership position and and running a sales team and all of a sudden i've heard i've realized how hard it is right it's not about the features it's not about the functions it's about like showing empathy it's about like understanding the other person's needs it's about going much much deeper than that and then eventually yes there are some features and benefits and products etc but there's almost like a side effect so making that mental shift was really transformational for me so coming from product being kind of a, a put in a position that i have to run a sales team and kind of leaning on my kind of hard skills or product knowledge etc really kind of educated me that this is coming up short and there's a lot more to it and uh, and from there it, it kind of expanded so i think that was the the, the beginning of it and then uh, the other thing that that happened about that time is that like technology started evolving yeah. so we've started seeing alexa and siri and all of these things started coming out and my kids went crazy with it. Like they were talking to Alexa all the time. We had like the Amazon Alexa at home and they were talking to her. And, all, and I thought, what if we could use some technology like that to train on the conversation? So I think that was like the two things coming together. And I said, okay, let's see how we can make something of that happen. Yeah, one of my other friends was telling me that they got is Alexa or one of those in their house, and the kids were adding funny things to the grocery list, <laughs> you know, <laughs> doing all kinds of crazy things. And I was like, oh my gosh, what have we done to our children? Um, but but yeah, right. You're thinking to yourself, wow, why can't Alexa practice the sales call with me? Why can't Alexa help me with a sophisticated problem? And indeed, programmed properly. Um, some type of AI, you know, named Alexa or what Jenny or whatever can. Absolutely. And I think that, uh, you know, today there's a lot of buzz about generative AI and GPT-3, GPT chat and all of that. So now it became much more commonplace. But when we started, it was really kind of a radical thought that a computer and AI would be able to converse 
in a level that would be effective and useful for people, right? Because yeah. people were having in mind, like when you call AT&T or T-Mobile or whatever, click three for this, click two for that, that's really not a sales call, right? No. So uh, uh, people were skeptical at first. Like people were skeptical about like, can AI actually help me practice anything? And if I'm a veteran sales rep, I've been in sales for 20 years, what can this tool do for me? Like that yeah, was especially for a response. veteran, right? They're thinking, yeah, I don't know. I'm skeptical. Okay. So when you first started it, tell me, how did you come up with the idea? And like, what was the iteration? I know you have an engineering background, but did you build this yourself or did you get with some friends or how, how did you come up with this? And how did it, what did it look like when you started? Yeah. So uh, again, in my background, what we've, I've done previously, I worked for 10 years for a company and, uh, then we did video as as a tool that was like YouTube was just getting started when we started it. Okay. It was way back when. And we did video for internal communication, collaboration, knowledge sharing, training, and video was just coming out. So that was like an amazing tool. And I've seen a lot of organizations, large and small, how they use video for internal communication, collaboration, knowledge sharing, practicing, learning, et cetera. Yeah, I thought that's great. We're using that to do asynchronous um, role play also. Companies like Rehearsal and uh, Commercial Tribe were uh, having their managers or uh, their trainers put scenarios onto the video, send it, and then the salesperson could answer it and they could go back and forth asynchronously with a practice. So that was probably around when you started, right? Absolutely. And and the company I was with, Cultura, we did that for about 10 years. So I was kind of responsible for the product who did this. And we worked with, let's say, Oracle, SAP, uh, um, MetLife, uh, Blue Cross, Blue Shield, you name it, like very large enterprises doing this type of things, whether it's record yourself, submit it to someone, get a feedback, and so on. So I think that was kind of one thing that that I had in my background. Mm-hmm. And then there was like a, the folks at Gong and Chorus that were just getting started. Right. As you can hear in my accent, I'm Israeli by origin. So they're all here in, in the in the neighborhood. I met those founders when they were just getting started. And and I thought, oh, that's a that's like another aspect of it. But what if we can do? If you think about like a a, a baseball analogy, right? So you think about the call recording things, that's like a, a post-game game tape. You have the game tape right. and you can make markings on it and you say, this is after the game, we can do this and we could have done that, etc. But what, what if we had like a batting cage that you can go into and you can just practice the conversation over and over again and just get better at all of the aspects of the conversation I think that was kind of originated that idea. So I've been having my own background and then seeing the, the technology and how it advances and the type of innovation coming into market. And I said, what's missing in this mix? So, all right. So the first iteration, were you still doing video at that point? How did you get started doing the AI that, you know, the, I guess we call it a bot, you know, yeah. talking so, to salespeople and having conversation. Funny you should say that. Uh, I, I'm like technical by background, but I'm not that technical. So I okay. partnered up with a friend, uh, Alon, who's my co-founder. Uh, and he spent like eight years at Facebook doing uh, AI uh, for them, uh, machine learning and other projects. Uh, been there kind of since 
pretty early days, pre-IPO and kind of running AI teams there, et cetera. So we met up and we started off with just prototyping and hacking. So <laughs> before we raised any funds, we had the prototype that actually worked. It was pretty limited and pretty scripted, but it was working and uh, it kind of people could see and feel what it would become. Uh, and we've started uh, selling it. So we started pitching it. That was the inception of it. And uh, the first customers of it were actually design partners for building it. So we had the SAP, who was a design partner, and the company called Checkpoint, who's like the leader, world leader in cybersecurity. They were their, our design partners for building it. Wow. Okay. So the first sale was really to these partners who helped you improve upon what you had started. Yeah, like we've shown it to them and, uh, you know, it's, it's big companies, but it's all about the individuals and the individuals get excited about new tech yeah. and, and want to take part in it. Uh, so we partnered with them and obviously like coming from sales, it was all commercial from the get go. So we didn't, we didn't have a product, we didn't have a tech team, but we we're already selling. And, uh, just, and that's just like you salespeople go sell something before we even have it finished. <laughs> absolutely. And I think, I think that for all entrepreneurs there, I think that's a great way to sass out if yes. there's a need for the product. I think that for entrepreneurs, the biggest challenge is to build an amazing solution for a problem that nobody has. Yeah. Right. Like you can go on and, and, and do like techie stuff and do exciting things in technology and whatnot, but nobody needs that. So if someone says this is interesting, that's great. If someone says this is interesting and signs a check, it's a much stronger exactly. signal. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, let's go back to that point for a minute because I think it's so true. Like people do get a good idea and then they're building a solution that nobody knows they need or want. And yeah, so what? Right. That's And that's hard. Uh, it's hard to sell. But when you start building it and then start asking people, and this is how many of the founders that I know and have interviewed have talked about it. It's like, well, we, we got this idea. We started building it. But then we got feedback and we asked people and we let them try it. And and we got their, more feedback. And then some of them helped us improve it. And I mean, isn't that, it's great. It's like your first sale is just to convince people to take a look at it and try it and give you feedback. You know, you're not really selling them anything other than have a look, right? Uh, yeah, I think I think that uh, you know it depends on your perspective. I think that we're always selling something, right, or asking yeah. for something and giving something right. back. Yeah, so right. I think that uh, for me, it was initially asking for time. So yeah. when I started out, I said, "Okay, I want to take twenty uh, leaders in sales and sales enablement, and just." get like 30 minutes of their time and see if they have the problems that I think that they're having. Even before talking about the solution, if you know like the, the lean methodology and the, and the running lean, then yeah. like really thinking about, do you are you solving for the right problem first? And then do you have the right solution? So separate the two. And the way that we structured it, we did two different interview cycles with, with about 20 leaders. And, and assessing out what are what is the right problem to solve, and then coming back with our prototype, saying, "Hey, this is how we're doing it. What do you think of that?" And they say, "Well, yes, but maybe later," and so on. So I think that's the way that, that works for me. 
Yeah, very good. So about how long did you go through that iterative process before you're like, okay, we're actually ready to go out and sell this to a lot of people? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I was selling from the get-go. Uh, but I think that the, a lot of people is a, is a differentiation. I think it really depends on the type of product. Uh, I've built other products in the past. And if the product is simple, then you can go from design and development to go-to-market focus really fast. If the product is more complex, then you have to be aligned with that. And uh, and everything has to come together, like your product, your pricing, your go-to-market, yes. your channels. Like everything has to come together in, in a way that makes sense and is coherent. So for us, it was a... We've sold the first few design partners. Then we worked with them for, I think, about a year uh, before we started kind of accelerating go-to-market. In that time, we raised some money. We hired engineers. We built a company. We've kind of did, did all of that as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you did all the selling at first then? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and you're with your co-founder? Well... I did the selling. He did the, the more complex things, which is building it and uh, and that. But uh, I think, look, we, we were lucky because uh, we both had uh, like good uh, track record, and the uh, VCs were eager to partner with us pretty early on. So we got to get to a team of I would say about ten people quite fast. Yeah. Uh, even before we had significant revenue and, and then like there was a team, there was some support, there was like a nice. lot more to that. Great. Well, good. So then, all right. So you're, you're doing most of the selling or all the selling at first. And then at what point did you get to start thinking, wow, I'm running this company and doing all the selling. This is a lot. I need to start building some sort of a sales organization. How far in were you? I think uh, after one year of selling, so we had, uh, I don't know, 10 or 15 customers. Uh, and, and I said, okay, that's a, it, it, it just like there was not enough time in the day right. uh, for that. So that's when we started. And I think that's one. I think the other one is that you have good reference customers to point yes. to. And good advocates from those customers, this really helps. Yeah. Oh, 100%. And I think it is a fatal mistake that founders make when they try to get sellers in too early and they don't have customers and they don't have those referenceable customers, right? So the sellers are out doing what? I mean, hey, We've got a product that you've never heard of. You never heard of me. You don't know our company. You don't know our product, but we want to try to sell you something. It's just too hard, you know? But once you've got those, those really solid customers and they're willing to speak to their success with your product, it paves the way so that salespeople can begin and do what they do. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, I think that like initially you're just trying to find that product market fit, right? And I think that selling is part of that tuning process. Right. So it's a very different type of seller to work in this early stage of finding it versus, you know, scaling it and then 
at the larger teams, it's a very different type of seller and the probably different comp structure, different like incentives, different motivations. Yeah, let's stay on that for a minute because I think you are 100% correct from everything that I've ever seen. And I think, again, a failure can be that we don't hire the right type of salespeople for those early stages. You do need a more entrepreneurial mindset. You need someone who understands this isn't all completely built yet, right? You're, we're still iterating and your job is to sell it, but also keep working with a customer and get the feedback and listen. And they do have to have a bit of a different mindset. And you're right, the comp structure has to be different. So how did you how did you figure that out? How did you figure out what kind of salespeople to hire? Where did, where did you find them? And how did you determine the right comp structure? Yeah, I can't say that they did everything perfect, but uh, <laughs> it's well, always easier said than done. <laughs> I I think that uh, I was looking for uh, like also it depends on, on which time. This was like the, the the in the boom, so it was even harder to get like uh, salespeople yeah. to to join a company. Uh, I think that. The, the key difference and the things that we're looking for is is how independent and creative you can be. So when working for a large company, there's a lot of supporting functions right. that help you as a salesperson, right? You have your marketing team, the marketing yes. generate the leads, the, then the SDRs will book the meetings for you, put them on your calendar, then you have the product marketing, give you the deck and they iterate everything then you have the the sales ops who gives you the sales force the crm and then you have like the collection and finance team and they do the collection and the cs team does the renewal and 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 your job is is like your a extremely focused and effective in your lane in what you're doing you're the best at that right and everything all of the supporting functions someone else does that and you can be the best expert what happens in an early stage is, well, I'm going to do a little bit of this, a little bit of that. I'm going to do some SDR calls. I'm going to do some of this, and I don't really have a deck, so I'll put something together. And it's more of a jack of all trades, yeah. and it's a very different skill set. So seeing and, and assessing if someone is comfortable to have a, to run through a sales process and do all of the functions without a lot of support right? Because I think that sales is the tip of the spear, but then there's a lot of supporting functions underneath it to help support it. And uh, even if someone was extremely successful in a large organization, they might not be successful in, in the scenario where they don't have that support. That is 100% correct. And I see that all the time. They Founders who hire uh, salespeople who were 300% of quota, you know, and did all these great things, but they came from a completely different environment where they really didn't have to do what I call full cycle selling. They do all the lead development themselves. They do their own marketing. They have to take, you know, the, the prospect all the way through all of the buying cycle and close it and onboard them and, 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 right. And keep in touch with them. And, and, you know, back in the day when I was young for selling, that's what we did. We didn't have all this segmentation. Maybe we had marketing, but marketing wasn't really concerned about generating leads. They were concerned about the brand and everything. So salespeople were really on their own to prospect and do every single part of the, the buyer journey on their own um, from hello to I'm your loyal customer. Now we have a lot of segmentation, but 
when we're starting up companies and we're looking for salespeople to fill in there, we do need that utility player type of salesperson who can play all those roles. So I'm just curious, how did you find the right salespeople? Like, where did you look? How did you know, uncovering, you know, turning over big stones and finding great salespeople? On your <laughs> yeah, I, I, it's like I, I looked through the regular channels. I think what I was uh, uh, kind of looking for and testing for is uh, in the interview process, in the in the relationship, is a how comfortable are they with with our environment and with what we're selling specifically? And we're lucky to be in this sales space, so we actually used our own product for that. So uh, what I was trying to assess out is a are they connected to the product? Because you have to be connected to the mission right. and the vision when it's such an early stage it's always good but in such an early stage it's critical so that was one b can they just adapt and learn on the fly and, and do it on mm -hmm. their own without a lot of formal training and support so that was b and c can they kind of deliver a great presentation a great conversation can they go at it and learn very quickly so those are the three things i was looking for and the way that they did it is a uh, in addition to the initial conversation, uh, talking about the company and kind of selling them on it, I think that I just gave them the tool. And I said, okay, now that you know a little bit about us, uh, we've spent like half an hour talking. The next step is for you to get into our system and pitch Jenny about second nature. And, uh, and that was the interview process. Like that was a big part of it. And there's so much that we've learned from this. I think that first is, like how they handle this because it's a challenge. It's not something that typically happens in a sales interview. Like uh, you might do a role play at the end, but it's typically on something that you brought in, etc. So, like they had to go into the website, learn about what we're doing, understand the value prop because they had to start selling it, and then go into this environment, see how they react to that environment, and then see their tenacity. Because the way that the, that the tool works is that you do a conversation or a pitch and you're getting feedback on what you did well and what you didn't do well, and then you can try again. And the guidance I gave them is that you can do it as many times as you'd like. So you can see those who were like tenacious and, and grinding it out and just went at it again and again and again until they, they got it. And those who said, okay, I get it. It's nice. Let's let's move on with it. So I think that's another thing that's it's really hard to assess how motivated and how yeah. uh, dedicated they are to this learning process. I think that's the, the second thing. And I think overall, just listening to them, you know, having conversation. And then uh, Jenny comes about and says, look, like, we have a bazillion tools to do training. Like, why do we need another tool? Right. Or I have a lot on my plate right now. Why do you call me back in six months? Or and how do they respond to that kind of a... Uh, uh, objection or surprise in a very uh, fluid way. I think that's another thing. All right. So th I think that's fabulous using your own tool to interview people. And I, I, I'm thinking now my wheels are turning, right? How do I help my clients use your tool to interview people? Because that is probably one of the hardest things we do. And, you know, when we look at salespeople, you know, and I can't speak for other hires, but I'm sure it's very similar. A lot of times we look for people who are kind of like us, like they, we feel comfortable with them, right? So, you know, they talk like us, they, they have 
a similar energy and that kind of thing. And, and so that's what attracts us to them. And then it's a little bit hard to suss out some of the other things like the tenacity and the dedication and the loyalty and, and how they really feel about the product and that, but using AI to do it is just genius, right? Because they, they really can't trick the AI. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and for us, it also like it gave them a very clear uh, understanding of what, what it would be to be part of this and to talk about this and to convince people of it. And Jenny was hard, like she was asking hard questions. So they, they <laughs> thought, do I really want to put myself in that position right. being asked those questions from prospects? So I think, you know, eventually there's no good and bad salespeople. It's just like, are they good for this position? Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Are they good for this particular thing? So I agree with you. I mean, it, it is about the fit of this particular person for this particular job. All right. So you got your initial salespeople and you got going and, and did well. Um, tell me about how you grew sales from there. Did you find a channel? Did you add more salespeople? Did you continue selling? Like, how did you grow from there after those cu first couple of sales hires? Yeah, absolutely. So we, uh, for us, it was a journey. And then I can talk about what I've seen from our customers who also like uh, sure. at a much larger scale because we're still pretty small. I would say uh, for us, it was, a, we started with, top of funnel marketing SDRs and I think that thinking about it here's one other thing that I don't think I got right like as a there's a top down and bottom up thinking yeah uh, as a CEO on one hand you have to think top down like your investors say okay here's your sales goal this is what you have to hit in order to hit your like to raise your next round and then okay you're thinking okay top down this is my sales goal divided by quota that means I need that many sellers and then it'll take me that long to onboard them, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, here's how many I need. And that's great, but it did not work for me. Yeah. Because it doesn't work, it, honestly, it wasn't just you. It doesn't work for most people that way. Okay, I, I didn't <laughs> want to say it like that. But the, and even though I had experience in sales and sales leadership, I, I still made this mistake. And if you don't have enough inbound, if you don't have enough leads for them to work on, they're just sitting there, you know, filling their thumbs and saying, okay, so what's next? So I think that building it bottom up and saying, okay, I have enough now meetings that I cannot support with the, the sales force that I have. Now it's the time to increase it. So I, I think that in retrospect, I would start investing in marketing and lead gen activities earlier yeah. and, and sales maybe a bit later. So I would flip it a little bit. And then sales development, I started with an outsource and I moved it in-house. I think I would have done that earlier. So those are the things that uh, that I would have done differently. But I think that that's that. And then creating, a, I hired the VP of sales or head of revenue that worked for me before, worked with me before, and uh, like an awesome guy, like so great to have him. And uh, like he helped me kind of organize this as a team, build it as a team. Yeah. Plus the the geography distance. I'm spending most of my time in Tel Aviv. The market is in the states, and uh, I'm far away from the market, both in terms of geography and, and time difference. So having a a real partner that's uh, in the target market and can actually lead the sales team was was uh, uh, great, <laughs> very effective. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. And I do think that, um, some of the things you mentioned, you know, like building 
that momentum through marketing, getting some of that inbound coming in. What I do recommend to people, especially when they're early on and they're going to move from founder-led sales to having a sales team, like you did, finding those the right type of people for early stage selling, but always to hire two. Like, you know, that way you can kind of benchmark against each other. And like you said, well, you went out and you took your your total goal and divided it and said, you know, oh my gosh, $10 million. Uh, each seller will do a million. I need 10 sellers, right? Well, unfortunately, that math just doesn't work. Doesn't work. I've <laughs> never seen it work. Um, but somebody, and I think some investors sort of think it works, but it just really doesn't. So uh, I like the, you know, structure of, hey, we've got this buildup of momentum and some inbound. We hire two sellers of the right type for the stage we are in this, in our growth. And we can benchmark them against each other. They can be a team, they can work together. And, you know, they're both going to report to the CEO usually at the beginning. Right. And then as we move forward, you're right. Then you see, oh gosh, we need some support for those sellers, uh, or it's time to add another seller, uh, and supporting that customer journey. And today I think that's, what's most important that we add sellers or others in the sales process as it makes sense to support that buyer journey versus doing this backwards math that we tend to do right to hire sellers but if we just keep our eye on that buyer journey and what is needed to support it we will hire differently and we won't always just add sellers we might add customer success people sales engineers um, you know, just different types of people who can support our customer to be able to buy from us and make it really easy for them to buy from us. A hundred percent. And I think also like thinking about like everything has to come together, meaning your average sales price with the type of go-to-market motion that yeah. you're doing, with the type right. of cost of acquisition, with the with the length of the sales cycle, with all of that. And I think that an early stage uh, you're not always concerned about this because you just so many things to think about. But I think that that's something that really have to plan for. I, I'd say just one other thing that I think that we didn't cover is the importance of feedback from the sales team, mm -hmm. especially when you're early stage and you don't know what resonates and you don't know what the right messaging to the right buyer persona, the right ISP is exactly. The, the most important feedback is the from customers and the most important channel for that feedback is the sales people that are doing that so uh, when when looking for first hires i would just look for okay how do you interact with product or how do you interact with the services how do you interact with other functions in the organization bringing that information insights from the customers yeah. and it's almost like discovery. Like there's a lot, a lot of similarities between product work and and sales. Is is about like understanding the need behind the need or the underlying needs of that that people don't tell you right away. Yeah. And uh, and being able to do that and crystallize it and share it internally in a way that people can understand it. Right. So I've seen I've seen it done so many times. Like a great seller, they go in. They have a conversation. They understand the superficial need. They go deeper. They understand the deeper need. Okay, they think of a solution themselves instead of giving it to product and then tell the product, hey, team, I need this feature. And they don't share the need or the underlying need. They say, I need this feature. And then product team says, okay, 
they build something and it's not exactly right, then you go on yeah. and lose a lot of time and iteration. So being able not only to uncover those needs and deeper needs, but also to share them yes. coherently internally, I think that's also tricky. Yeah, and I think that in, especially in early stage, this is important or anytime you launch a new product, you may be 20 years old launching a new product, sales pe you salespeople have to be out there listening to the customer, bringing the feedback, understanding, like you said, what's beneath the need? Why do they need that? How are they going to use it? How's it going to make things different? How will they get better results with that? Right? All of that kind of information to bring it back to the product team and the marketing team. So we can all be together on it and really produce something that will help our customers. So um, I do think that is very important. All right. So I want to hear what's next for um, the second nature. You, how, how long have you been uh, in business now? We've been in business uh, almost four years, I want to say. Yeah, so you're still yeah. very young. So there's so much ahead and with <laughs> AI and you know what you're doing, it's just remarkable how you're helping your customers to build peak performing sales teams using Jenny, you know, uh, to ask them questions. So tell us what's, what's coming next and how you continue growing. Absolutely. So I think that the kind of uh, place where we fit in, in, in the, in the cycle for organizations is a much later stage than we are. Think about it like uh, uh, just connecting the dots into the startup kind of a growth journey. You start with, can you build it? Right? Can you build something? I want to build a rocket ship to space. Well, if I'm not Elon Musk, probably I can't. And then can you sell it? Right? Is it something that someone wants? And then can you scale after yes. you've done the two? And then I think scaling, it just goes on and on and on. At a certain stage, the type of challenges becomes very, very different. Right? It's not about finding the, the product market fit or the right messaging. You have the messaging, you have the ICP, you have the buyer persona, you have the systems, but how do you do it at scale? And it becomes a much bigger ship. And then something happens. A recession happens. Or yeah. a competitor happens. Or a strategy happens. And then how do you navigate that ship towards a different direction? When you have a nimble team, it's easier. When you have hundreds or thousands of sellers, it's hard. It's really hard. And you know, we work with the, with our customers and you sit with executives and they lay out a strategy and the strategy is great. They're going to change the ICP. They're going to move from selling products into selling packages or selling solutions. They're going to do a lot of different things, but then it all gets lost in translation, moving from the boardroom or the, the management room into the floor yeah. where you have hundreds or thousands of sellers kind of having conversations. So... I think that we're kind of working in this uh, in this difference of saying, okay, strategy, strategy, that's great. In order to turn it into executions, you have to change the conversation in the field. And that's what we're doing day in and day out. Now, when we started, the underlying tool set was not there yet. Like there was no chat GPT. There was no uh, large language models. Like a lot of these things were non-existent. Uh, they came along and we've been using generative AI and GPT for over two years now, starting from their beta program. And it's amazing to see the type of things that you can do today that you could not do two years ago. Not because we're so great, because just the industry as a whole kind of came together and, and yeah. grew. And we're in the lucky position to be that we have like those hundreds of thousands of sessions and tens of thousands of users doing it 
on an ongoing basis that we can collect all this data and say, okay, here's how we can use it. Here's where we can put the guardrails. Here's how we can scale that technology. So to your question, I think that we're going, first of all, the underlying technology is, 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 is expanding so fast. It's like, it's amazing to see. Uh, and I think that in two years from now, it will be not just OpenAI, ChatGPT, but also Google and also Facebook and also others that would have different large language models that come about. And those language models will be much more advanced than what we're seeing today. So I think that the conversation will be even more real-like and there's a lot more possibilities into it. So that's one. I think the second thing is for us is uh, there's different types of sales. We've been doing a lot of enterprise B2B sales originally, like an SAP had an 18-month sales cycle, like a lot of conversations. Now we're doing a lot of more transactional sales. So think about the insurance agent. They have a one-call close. It has to happen in that call. It's a different type of a challenge and a lot of scale, a lot of turnover, so a lot of challenges there. And then it goes beyond sales, like just having better business conversations it can go into having a conversation with an employee. Yeah. Maybe they're not happy. Making sure that uh, you know, in terms of diversity and inclusive, uh, uh, yeah, diversity and inclusion, in terms of biases, how do you handle those type of conversations? In terms of customer success or customer support, how do you handle those kind of conversations? So there's a lot of uh, training to be had, and I think that it can really expedite the way that people learn and that uh, organizations adapt to changes. Yes, a lot of growth in this area. It's just going to be really fun to watch. And then for your team, are you expanding now? Are you hiring sales reps or um, how are you growing? Yeah, we are. We are hiring sales reps. I think that uh, uh, right now uh, the growth is definitely slower than it was like a, a couple of years ago, but we are hiring uh, moderately salespeople uh, stateside. We're selling mainly direct, but now starting to work with different channels in, in selling the, the product. Again, as the product becomes more mature, more packaged and more self-sufficient, you can start leveraging these type of relationships. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, Ariel, it has been a pleasure to uh, chat with you today. And um, thank you so much for sharing your journey with us. Uh, it's fascinating. And I can't wait to watch what comes next with your company. So thanks for being with us today. Absolutely, Alice. Thank you for having me. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks for tuning in to Sales Talk for CEOs. You can find me at alicehyman.com. Be sure and connect with me on LinkedIn and let me know that you heard the show. If you found value in today's episode, please subscribe, write a review, and share the show with another CEO.